0: Welcome to the Next Greatest Thing podcast powered by the Arkansas Valley Electric Cooperative Corporation. This podcast is a place where we come together with electric experts and dedicated operators to discuss current co-op events, leading edge technologies, and communicate with AVECC members. We are Arkansas Valley Electric, changing the communities we serve. Hey everyone, it's Barbara Jenkins. We've got a cool episode for you today. Enjoy part one of Figuring Out Fiber, and join us next week for part two.
1: Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of The Next Greatest Thing, a podcast brought to you by Arkansas Valley Electric. In this episode, we'll be taking an in-depth look at our electric smart grid slash fiber to the home project with accounting and finance manager Lauren Robinson and engineering and operations director Barrett Ewing. How are y'all today?
2: Great. Thanks for having us.
3: Good. Looking forward to this.
1: So, why we have you two in here. Lauren and Barrett have been involved in the project almost from ground zero. Lauren, obviously, being the accounting and finance manager, uh, deals with a lot of the financials when it comes to the fiber project. Uh, Barrett, being the engineering and operations director and a network savant, has really been involved in all aspects of the project. So we have the two experts in the room to talk in depth about this project. So, um, Lauren, talk a little bit just overall what you do um, when it comes and what you're involved in when it comes to the fiber project.
2: So uh, I guess when we first started the Fiber Project, we were given a feasibility model, and I think we'll talk about that in more depth later. But really, I think my job is to make sure that we are staying on track from a financial standpoint to make sure that the project is successful and that it is not negatively impacting the members of the electric co-op.
1: You have and deal with the feasibility study quite often, and you've been involved in that from... The ground up, and we'll get into talk about that. But that's a pretty important piece of documentation that guides us through the fiber project.
2: Absolutely, it helps keep us on track and uh, and make sure that we are making decisions that are in line with where we need to be financially.
1: Barrett Ewing, yes, sir. Network savant, true. No, yes, true. Um, you, really, all joking aside, talk about your involvement and before we get too in-depth, uh, and what you've been involved in um, from day one with the fiber project.
3: So, Lauren mentioned the feasibility model. Um, nobody here at Arkansas Valley had a whole lot of experience in fiber projects. So, engineering kind of took on the role of uh, construction. How do we get fiber out on our system and be able to use it in a way um, to provide smart grid technology and fiber to the home um, to our members? So, that engineering is kind of responsible for that, for all the way from our substations to the home.
1: So let's jump in, part one, as Barbara Jenkins has once again laid us out, our show notes in perfect fashion. Part one, Barrett, take us back to day one of the fiber project. How did this whole thing
3: materialize? I remember um, sitting in your office, and I think Lauren was there. We started discussing um, some of the other co-ops that already Kind of gotten into the game of offering fiber to the home, and so it was kind of a new topic for electric cooperatives to do that sort of thing. So um, we were, I think, interested in how could Arkansas Valley benefit from it, and how could that be that benefit play out to our members, and what do we need to do to kind of progress that?
1: Did you know what you're getting into? Had no idea, Lauren. What what do you recall? of the first day that we discussed the fiber project?
2: Uh, I just remember you coming to my office and saying, hey, I've got a a meeting in the boardroom. It's very important. You need to be there. And I was a little disturbed, and I walked in, and I saw a table of, I guess, really competent-looking folks, and I thought, well, this can't be that bad. And you guys sprung on me that you had been talking about uh, possibly looking into bringing fiber to the home and, and what that looked like for our membership. And, and you needed someone involved from a financial standpoint to know whether or not that was going to be possible. And so that was really my first experience on the project. And I think from that point on, I was excited about it. It was something that we were all looking forward to. And really, we just wanted to make sure that it could work uh, to the benefit of our members and, uh, and not impact them negatively in any way.
1: So on a personal level why did you want to take on this project
2: uh well i am one who loves a challenge so i thought really the fiber project was exciting but on a deeper level i think that uh we probably all grew up in rural areas and uh you see things that you don't have access to growing up and so Uh, being from Bearden, Arkansas, just a small town in South Arkansas, I know that we we didn't have access to high-speed internet or a lot of other things that you might find yourselves with access to in a city. So it it seemed like a good project that we could invest our time in to hopefully provide another benefit to our members besides providing electricity.
1: Same question for you, Barrett. On a personal level, why did you feel like this was an important thing to do?
3: So I, I... we said this a lot. I think the, uh, you know, we realize internet is no longer a, a luxury but a necessity. And like, just like electric was when, in the 30s, when co ops started providing electric to, to people in rural areas. So I think the goal there was it was something to be passionate about because it felt like it was worthwhile and something that we needed to do because nobody else was going to do it. And it's all the, all the, people that provide internet right now to big cities you know a lot of times the only place those are going into areas that are populated and most of our membership isn't populated and we knew nobody else was going to do it unless we did it
2: that was much better said by barrett i don't know you did good lauren
1: (laughs) i can feel the passion in those two answers um so barrett i'm going to go with you again on this one kind of take us through okay we've now talked as a group and we feel like there's a little momentum behind um, exploring this endeavor uh, then what was the initial first step of okay we've decided we want to do it but we don't know what to do
3: i think we kind of use the co-op mentality and we we leverage other co-ops in the state i um, not just for well for really all aspects of business um electric anything else we'll we'll ask questions we kind of collaborate that way and there were other co-ops that were doing the pro- that were already doing fiber based projects so that was our first step is to reach out to them and understand where they were at in it they were really early on and uh it really there was a lot of excitement with our group to get that started and um we found um Ozark Electric was doing a project North Arkansas Electric was doing a project we talked with both of those teams and uh that kind of got the ball rolling
1: i think that first call was to North Art right and then they told us of a gentleman named Randy Clint. So can you kind of um, explain to us why he's an important part of this piece, not just for us, but really on a national level?
3: Yeah, so you're, you're right. We talked to uh, Jason Strong at Northark. He's their uh, engineering uh, manager. And uh, he kind of told us about Randy and asked if we had talked to Randy and said Randy had done some feasibility studies. So Randy at the time was working for um, Ozark Go, their subsidiary that was doing a fiber to the home project. He had actually started out at um, Como Electric in Missouri, and that was the first electric cooperative that had built fiber to 100% of their members. And uh, so those two uh, accolades there clearly stand out to say, okay, he knows what he's doing. He's done this before. So we reached out to him, and at the time he was offering to do a feasibility study, which he would come in. We would provide him with a lot of system information about Arkansas Valley, and he could run a study to say, okay, is this project going to be feasible? What would it take? How many people would you need to sign up? And um, what's that look like? How many you know miles of line of fiber are you going to have to build? What are some of the costs for some of that? And that was really the first um, piece of information that we got that says, okay, this is doable. We can do this.
1: Lauren, segue, part two, says here, let's talk, and I think both of you will be able to talk about this at great length, um, the feasibility study and how important that was to us on a financial level and how important those results, how those results needed to look for us to be able to continue to start the project and how well Randy's group at on put that together.
2: Loaded question. Um, I'm going to try not to bore you with the details, but uh, Arkansas Valley Electric, cooperative is a member-owned cooperative, and that means that we are owned by the people that buy electricity from us, and we're highly regulated. Uh, We're regulated by the Arkansas Public Service Commission and also the Oklahoma Corporation Commission. So for us to take on a project like this or to even consider creating a subsidiary to provide an alternative service, we really needed to prove that the company could be I guess, self-sufficient and not cause uh, an economic burden on our electric ratepayers. So that's why the feasibility model was so important. I think that if it was uh, guided by passion alone, all of us would have, you know, wanted to start the project from day one. But we do know that we are governed by our members and that our decisions have to be in the best interest of our members. And that's why we wanted to do our due diligence and make sure that the project ex- itself was going to be financially beneficial to them.
1: Was it, sorry.
2: Uh, <laughs> answering part two of your question, as far as um, Connexon's, uh putting it together, how well they put it together, uh, I think we had to rely on their expertise a lot at the very beginning, right? Uh, we all have several years of experience in the electric Utility industry, but no experience in the fiber industry. So it was it was critical that we rely on their expertise, and and they had done these projects before with a lot of other co-ops. So they really gave us a step-by-step uh, guideline on how to get the organization started, and and what steps we needed to take to make sure that Wave was going to be successful from day one.
1: So was it hard for a financial mind to put? A lot of trust into randy's group at what point did you say like yeah these folks know what they're doing and we're ready to sign on for this thing
2: i i think that a financial mind probably always looks at something with a little bit of skepticism right i think you have to have to look at it and try to pick it apart every way that you can but i think when we did our research, it felt like it was a very conservative model and that, you know, take rates that were used were conservative. They were something that we should be able to attain and that approaching the feasibility model with that level of conservatism, it gave us, a I g I think it gave us what we needed to feel comfortable with moving forward with it. Um, yeah, they're a, a great group. They have a lot of experience and I think their numbers show that.
1: So I think Barrett, Lauren, did a great job of financially talking about um, how important the feasibility study was, but it's much more than just a financial document. Can you talk about, from an engineering operations networking side of things, how important that uh, document is to this project?
3: Yeah, and originally the feasibility model was really heavy on the financial side. Um, There's stuff in there to talk about, um, technically what you might need and parts you might need. And as an engineering group, we feel like we're technical minded and we can we understand electric, but um, there was a lot of uh unknown and they gave us the confidence that they had the experience and that we could go to them to ask questions when we needed to to be able to be successful to to build a fiber network so I think outside of the feasibility model you know they've been there every step of the way for every question we have and then as we you know as we get further and further along, we gain that confidence that we need to be able to to that feel like we're learning and feel like we're capable of building a network that is going to be successful and be able to support it long-term. But um, really is just a resource, having them as a resource to go to to ask those questions. So we've talked about Randy. Another part
1: of that team was Jonathan Chambers and how much experience he had at a national level. Barrett, do you want to speak a little bit about Jonathan and um, why it was important for him to be in the room? Um, at the very start of this project?
3: I don't know if I can do it justice but so um, Jonathan Chambers and Randy um, were partners with Connexon. They formed Connexon. He came from the FCC so he had a lot of experience um, trying to help fund um, fiber projects or not fiber projects but broadband projects through the FCC um, for many many years. So he had come from a unique perspective and um, he really talked up the fact that Randy had a model here like nothing he'd ever seen um, to be able to build a fiber-to-the-home project most def- the most efficient way, and that was through electric cooperatives. And so um, they're very passionate about doing fiber-to-the-home projects through electric cooperatives and having him in the room as a resource, um, then moving forward for any kind of funding that might come up in the future. I mean, all those pieces, he gave us the confidence that he would have the expertise to guide us through all those pieces and that experience in the past.
1: So I think we probably could discuss this later on in the podcast, but I want to do it now. So we get asked a lot um, why we started in our most um, densely populated areas, and you know, we our, our answer a lot of the most of the time is, listen, you know, we had a feasibility study done, and in, in order for us to get this to all of our members in the quickest amount of time, we started there. Um, Can you explain, maybe Lauren, is why financially was it a smart idea and beneficial for all of our members for us to start in those more densely populated areas and ones that um, we know have other options for internet?
2: So the way I like to look at it is really thinking about the cost it takes to get the service to a member. And in the initial phases of the project, Uh, the cost per passing, which is the cost it takes to get service to one location, is, is very low. And it's because it's in a dense area, which means it's heavily populated. As you go throughout the phases of the project, that cost, I think it nearly tripled. And so in order for us to get a revenue stream coming in, we needed to start in those densely populated areas where the cost per passing was low. And we picked up you know, several new customers that were able to start generating a revenue flow so that we had the financial, I guess, backbone to be able to support those more expensive passings later on in the project.
1: So, Barrett, can you talk about, um, on a networking and an engineering side, why it was smart to strategically... um, start in those areas because of the fiber backbone connection and then because of the amount of substations that we have um, in those
3: in that first phase area so i think it was smart but it's also challenging because of the amount of work the workload is pretty high because you had so many passings and so many substations so the way we do this we have we have equipment at every one of our electric substations to be able to provide internet to the home and the more of those um, generates a lot more um, infrastructure and equipment and and Install time, all those pieces, but I think the biggest key was we have to have some connection to the outside world, so we don't have a Arkansas Valley didn't have an internet connection to Dallas or to Kansas City, to St. Louis, and we needed we needed a um, another provider to be able to carry us to the outside world to get to that content, and really, so as we started the project, we started looking at where in our where in our territory are those kind of connections, and they're usually in densely populated areas. And so that kind of drove a lot of that decision too.
0: We hope you enjoyed part one of figuring out fiber. Tune in next week for the continuation of the conversation. Brandon, Barrett, and Lauren will be discussing Wave Roll Connect structure and how fiber connection actually works. Thank you for listening to The Next Greatest Thing, powered by the Arkansas Valley Electric Cooperative Corporation. Make sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at MyEnergyAVECC. Visit our website at www.avecc.com. We hope to see you down the line.